Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. We are at uh, week 14 in a 23-week-long series, thank you, sir, on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, last week, we started sort of a mini-series within the series that had to do with the Lord's Prayer. This week and next week, we will deal very specifically with the, the Lord's Prayer. Only two verses today, the rest of the verses next week. We are starting every sermon the same way, and I don't want you to get tired of this because I can't actually say it often enough because I think the more we say it, the more likely it is that you'll be alerted to the fact that the Sermon on the Mount is a different kind of sermon, and it's a different kind of intention, actually, and, and so I say this to you, we are all icebergs. We are all icebergs. And typically, when you hear, hear a teacher or a preacher get up and open scripture for us, typically, it's not always a bad thing, but typically what happens is that preacher or teacher is going to say to you, here's what the Bible says, now you do this, or here's what the Bible says, says and don't do this. So typically, it's staged right about here. You leave a service saying, okay, okay, there are three points that all alliterate and then a poem that tell me I'm supposed to do this or that tell me I'm supposed to avoid doing this. But the Sermon on the Mount meddles. The Sermon on the Mount messes with us at a much, much deeper uh, place in our lives. Beneath actions, we have the desires that produce those actions. And even beneath the desires, there is something that I'm going to call a story, a giant story or a worldview that gives rise to these desires that give rise to these actions. Now, that bottom part of that iceberg there, the story or the worldview, here's what I'm saying. You have some options. You have some decisions to make. Which story are you going to live out? Sometimes we find ourselves living out a story that we don't remember consciously choosing, but we are in fact living out that story. It's almost as if that story has chosen us. Take, for example, let's say you are living out the story of materialism whose bumper sticker goes something like this, the one who dies with the most toys, what? Okay, so you know that story. You know that bumper sticker, and there are some people, whether they have consciously chosen it or not, and some people do consciously choose it, (laughs) but there are some people who find themselves living out that story. Now, if that's the story you are living out, then it comes with distinctive desires, and there are distinctive actions and activities that come out of those desires which have come out of that story. Does that make make some sense to you? And what I'm saying to you is that the Sermon on the Mount says, all other stories must be subordinated to the story of Christ and kingdom. In other words, Christ seems to have the audacity to say to you, 
no matter what story you are living out, if your first and best and deepest story is not the story of Christ and kingdom, says Jesus, it's the wrong one, even if you attend church. I don't know if you know this, but you do not have to be perfect to attend church. <laughs> and so it's possible, right, that people can go through the motions. Now, this is the shorter series that we're in right now here in chapter 6. It is possible to go through the motions the movements of Christianity, while at the same time living out some other story. So it is possible for materialists to come here and say the Lord's Prayer and not actually be beholden first and foremost to the story of Christ and kingdom. Materialism, maybe that's the competing story. Maybe it's something, this is a dangerous one for me to even talk about, but maybe it's nationalism. Maybe, and here's the way we can know this, if you understand yourself to be an American and then a Christian, then you're living the wrong story. Because what you really are, in terms of the kingdom, what God wants you to be is a Christian and then an American. Make sense? Because whatever you are first defines the most important words and terms. I think today we have to draw a target around, though, the most dangerous and competing story that I think reaches even deeper than nationalism, materialism, religious fundamentalism. There's a story that reaches even more deeply. There's a story that I think is a larger, is a larger threat to Christ and kingdom as the dominant story in our lives, and it is the story of me. story of, well, me. By the way, for you, it would be the story of you. I'm not saying that my story is the biggest. But for you, the chief competitor, hear this. The chief competitor <laughs> for your life is not the devil. If our story is to believed at all, then we believe that our Jesus has in a final sort of way, in a complete sort of way, dominated and defeated the enemy. Can I get an amen there? But the thing is, even against the backdrop of that victory, God has seen fit to give us the capacity to choose for or against him. And it seems like, it seems like the choice is, Will you choose Christ and kingdom or will you choose yourself? Will I choose Christ and kingdom or will I choose myself? And the dangerous thing about the story of me is that it can be so deep that you don't recognize that you're, I don't know if a fish knows that that fish is swimming in water. It just is. And sometimes the story of me, the, the story of self-orientation can be so deep that it seems normal, that it seems normal. It does not strike us as something that must be changed because it's that normal. Sometimes the story of me is so deep and so pervasive that we don't even notice anymore that we are living out the story of me. And then we go to church. Now, this is the gist. This is the gist of all of this language here, as, as Jesus has come out now in chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is saying is, man, you got to be really, really careful that you aren't being religious 
but being religious against the backdrop of the story in your fasting or your sacrificing. I would say this to you. The single biggest obstacle to my life of faith is me. The single biggest obstacle to my life of prayer is me. The single biggest challenge I have to overcome to be the kind of person that God wants me to be, and this is before we ever talk about whether or not I'm a pastor, right? The single biggest challenge I have in becoming the person that God wants me to be is me, me. I didn't get an amen there, and I appreciate that. That was not a great place for an amen. Can I tell you something? The single biggest challenge to the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life is you. That's not a bad place for an amen. Okay, all right. It's you. Are you aware of just how self-oriented we can be? Are you aware of just how self-oriented we can be, you and me? We can be so self-oriented that it can't help but affect the way we do everything. You cannot name something that is not somehow infected by an orientation to self. Now, if I have therapists in the rooms, your, your warning bells are going off. Now, hear this, hear this. I am not advocating that we should be self-hatred people. I don't believe that either. I don't believe that either. Because, we'll hear this later in the Sermon on the Mount, God believes that you and I have infinite worth. It's just that God believes that we, both of us, in our infinite worth, are best placed into the hands of God. We do not need to, and we should not, try to grasp control of our own lives too tightly lest we choke the life out of it. So the single hardest thing you will ever do as a Christian, the single hardest thing you will ever do is somehow break your addiction to you. It will take hours and hours and hours, and hours in prayer. It will take work that you cannot do. It'll, it'll take you offering yourself up to the God who can only do what God can do. It will take a lot of work, a lot of work. I'm, I'm reminded of, of a guy, this is one of my favorite authors here. This is Malcolm Gladwell, who's written a lot of books. Uh, raise your hand if you've read a Malcolm Gladwell book, The Tipping Point, or Blink, or Outliers is this one. Outliers, and Outliers is a book that tries to tell us why people succeed. How do people succeed and why do they succeed? And amongst other uh, theories that he postulates in this book, there's this one that's called the 10,000 hours rule. And what he says is this. If you want to be world class at anything, spend 10,000 hours doing it. And he says that because he's got a couple of pretty good stories. For example, there was this young man who went to a high school in Seattle, progressive high school, and back in the 70s, I guess, they actually had this thing called a computer. Now, yes, it did take up an entire hallway, right? It was this huge thing. But this little high school kid was given opportunity to mess with this computer for hours and hours and hours and hours until it became thousands of hours until that guy became Bill Gates. And then there was a group of ragtag 
kids in, in, uh, in England who got together and they started playing. And they actually had an opportunity to play together for thousands and thousands and thousands of hours until they became the Beatles. And so what he's saying is, find me something that you want to be really good at, like world class. Spend 10,000 hours working on it, working at it, and you may have a chance. There are other factors involved there, but you may have a chance. Well, what if you and I, what if our greatest task that we would need to, to accomplish in, over the course of our lives, what if the greatest task, and I think this might be true, that the greatest task you and I have to accomplish in our lives is to finally break the addiction to ourselves so that we can actually love. My suspicion is, and I think Gladwell would agree with me, it may take somewhere upwards of 10,000 hours. What are you doing this week? 10,000 hours. Or more, amen? Because I'm telling you, this stuff can go so deep I won't talk very much more about you, but I'll, I'll put myself on this chopping block. I can tell you as your pastor, absolutely there's a way to go about this job in ways that are actually self-glorifying as opposed to God-glorifying. Sure, absolutely. I mean, there are ways of going about Christianity that at the end of the day glorify you and not God. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says in Matthew 6.1, beware of practicing your piety or your covenant fidelity, you and God. Beware of practicing your covenant fidelity before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then he goes immediately into giving this is when he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And we've talked about how anatomically that seems to be a challenge, but we kind of get what he's trying to say. Don't give so as to be seen. You give for an audience of one. Today and next week, we're talking about praying for an audience of one. And Jesus is teaching us how to pray. But hear this. Jesus is also acknowledging that you and I suffered the same disease that Every human being seems to suffer that goes something that can be described like this. I love me more than I love God. Loving yourself is not the problem. In fact, you will hear God say, you should have a healthy sense of regard and love and respect for yourself. But when self-love outclasses love for God, here's what we call that, sin. Now, here's the hard place that some of us are in now. Because some of us, and I love how honest you all are, Heard it again this morning. I love this young adult class I'm working with. And we just hear week after week, brutal honesty. And some of you in your brutal honesty may say something like this. I know kind of what it looks like and feels like. I know what it's like. I think I know what it means to say that I love myself. But sitting where you are, you may not know what it means to love an invisible God. Okay. Welcome. Lots of us have gathered here 
asking that same question, what does it mean to love God? What might it look like if my life were marked by love of God? Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick on us, ready? Folks who make electronic gadgets and devices are banking, are banking on our self-orientation. And by banking, I mean making a lot of money <laughs> on our self-orientation. And notice, notice, now I know some of you are reading scripture, you're Googling some of the words or even some of the images that I'm talking about, but some of you are candy crushing. Or setting a lineup. See, we rehearse this self-attention a lot, and our gadgets help us to rehearse the self-attention a lot, and I am just as guilty, just as guilty. But how do you and I rehearse moving that attention away from us and to God? What do you do to work on this addiction that you have? What do you do to work on this addiction that you have, this addiction to you, this addiction that I have to me? What can we do to move beyond that so that we can replace some of that attention for ourselves and on or spent on ourselves with attention to God? Well, one of the answers is this, pray. But it's not that simple. It's pray well. You, you can pray poorly. You know this, right? Watch this, example of terrible prayer. Dear God, kill my enemy today with something heavy, heavy, something really that falls out of, God, please, that, that's poor prayer. <laughs> Amen, <laughs> yeah. But how often are you the subject of your own praying? How often am I the subject of my own praying? It's not a bad thing to pray for relief. It's not a bad thing to pray for relief. Again, it's not a bad thing to have a healthy regard for yourself. But in the Sermon on the Mount today, Jesus is going to say this, pray to God for God's sake. Let me, let me give something away. And it's actually something I'm gonna give away that has to do with the next two sermons. Ready? You, the individual, do not show up in the Lord's Prayer ever. So as we're being taught to pray, <laughs> as we're being taught to pray, and as Jesus says more than, here's a good example of prayer, it, Jesus seems to also be saying, these are words you should pray every once in a while. So in these words that we're not just supposed to understand but also recite, you're not in it. Now, how well does that match my praying? How well does that match your praying? How often do I begin my prayers with, God, you matter. Pray then in this way. Huge stuff here now. Pray then in this way. Our Father, and, and 
we don't have to go any farther than that to see that there are some things here that are just huge, universe-shaping, just explosive things here, just in the two words, our and then Father. First of all, in this word, our, it's huge, because what Jesus is doing, he's throwing open the doors of his house, and he's saying, you can enjoy this same kind of relationship with God the Father that I do, and it's not just here in Scripture, it is especially in the book of John. We underappreciate this fact that Jesus says, you will get to be my brothers and sisters and call God, and here's the Aramaic word that would have been, would have been used here, Jesus saying, as my brothers and sisters, you too get a chance to call our God Daddy. Because in Aramaic, when Christ prayed to his Father, he didn't use the big, flowery, white castle, cathedral language, oh, holy one in the expanse. He said, Daddy. And so Jesus here invites you to enjoy that same intimacy with God, <laughs> our Father. Who art in heaven? Our Father in heaven. And here is this great phrase, hallowed be thy name. Now, there's a little bit of a translation issue here, but let's talk about this word hallowed. Let's talk about this word hallowed. Hallowed, in liturgical use, often hallowed. I love that, right? Because have you heard that? Have you heard hallowed be thy name? I like that. It means to regard as holy, to venerate, to make sacred. But hear this. It loses a little bit in the translation to English because really it probably should say this. Our Father in heaven, hallow your own name. Make sacred your own name. So the first prayer we pray is that God would benefit God's self and God's name. <laughs> now there are some people, there are some people who will hear that or hear some of the things that I say about praying and worshiping God and how God wants to hear the praise. Some of you will sit in your seats and you go, what does God need praise? Isn't God God? Why does God need praise? Why does God need to hallow God's own name? Is God short on credibility these days? Yes. You know why? Because too many of us, me included, think that we're the point when it comes to Christianity, and we're not. And so the prayer here is, and this is before we get to what you need, what you want. The prayer here is, God, make sacred your own name. And not just the name, but the name always refers to something. It names, it, the name names the essence, the nature. In the book of Ezekiel, God is quoted as doing a lot of things. Rescuing people for the sake of my name. Holding back and not disciplining people for the sake of my name. Here's what God is saying. I want people to know who I am because when people know who God is, there is help and hope and salvation when people know who God is. 
Do you want there to be help and hope and salvation in the world? And if so, why don't you start your prayers with that rather than, boy, God, I really need this in my marriage. Or, God, I really need this where I work. Or, God, I really need this where money is concerned. What if you prayed all your prayers and you started with, God, make your name great? message says it like this our father in heaven reveal who you are can I tell you something God is just smart enough to know that it might be a bad thing to answer every one of your prayers the way you want them answered but God also knows and when the nature and the essence of God is further and further revealed, this is where you might have change and hope and salvation. And you've yet used that word twice now, John. Do you mean salvation? Like my soul is secured somehow for eternity? Listen, when I say salvation, yes, I mean the soul and everything else that has to do with life because I think souls are contained in lives. Amen? So I mean, when I say salvation, I mean there can be rescue from life situations when we stop focusing on ourselves so much and focusing on God and the name of God more. Do you do that? Now, we're all chronically normal human beings, so what that means is sometimes in our praying, our issues are right here. It is okay. It is okay. It is okay to be chronically human. Understanding that, Jesus says, let me help you to pray and try to navigate your addiction to you. Here's how you do it. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. And beyond that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, serious soapbox warning here, okay? And we did this uh, as a, in 2010, we did 20 some odd, 20 weeks actually in the book of Revelation. And we did it so that I could say this at the very end. We have for so long talked about eschatology, which is the study of in times. We have for so long thought about eschatology in terms of this is when God takes the good people away from here. We have said that to one another for so long that we forgot to read the Bible. And in the Bible, it says, I am making all things new. In the Bible, it says, I am coming to make my home with you. In the Bible it says, I will come to you and I will be with you. I will be your God and you will be my people here. And so there is this incredible image of the Holy of Holies. Now it doesn't, it doesn't look like that to you, but to the folks who have been reading this, the original audience, they would have understood a cube 
symbolizing the very essence of God, the very presence of God. And so you have this amazingly huge cube that comes to the earth. And so the folks would have understood immediately upon reading that, they would have understood it like this. Wow, God in all God's fullness, God in all God's perfect fullness is coming here with and for us. And all God's people said, man, that's so much better than that other story that's not in the Bible. And one of our cues should have been the prayer. You are aware, right, that this says, your kingdom come. This is the inspiration behind our sermon series title. Your kingdom come, your will be done, totally away from here in some great by and by somewhere else. It's not what it says. What does it say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Y'all, what if that means Oklahoma? What if that means Oklahoma City around this church? What if this means, what if this means your house? What if this means your place of work? Does anybody else want to agree that it does mean all those things? Do you know what the single biggest obstacle is? Me. You. God has a better dream than you do. And in our praying, we make ourselves available to this better dream. In our praying, we are slowly but surely changed. I'm going to say the same things to you about praying that I do about worship. Listen, you need to know this, and we're thinking along with some of the best minds and thinkers of all time as we pray. Now, we Wesleyans believe that we do, in fact, have an impact on the heart of God, but we absolutely believe, all of us believe, that as we pray, God has an impact on us. C.S. Lewis, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time. Waking and sleeping, it doesn't change God. It changes me. (laughs) And we need changing. The addiction to self runs so deep that I'm prescribing for all of us at least 10,000 hours of work in the other direction. And today, the admonition, today, the instruction from Christ himself goes like this. Well, we can start the process of breaking your addiction to you and my addiction to me. We can start the process of breaking those addictions by praying better, and here's how we'll pray better, by making sure that our prayers orient to God and God's life and God's hope, and God's dream. Even if that means that that prayer ends without us ever finally getting to you. I guess what I'm saying is, I think God's trustworthy. And like we heard two weeks ago, God's pretty well aware because of God's heart and love for you and proximity to you, God knows what you need. And by the way, this is what you need. 
You need to not be addicted to you. And I need to not be addicted to me. And we need to replace those appetites and desires with an appetite and a desire for God. Let me ask you a very hard, hard question. How would things be different for us? How might things be different for me? How would things be different for you if you loved God more than you loved yourself? Again, I really think that this contrary story, contrary to the story of Christ and kingdom, this story of me is so incredibly deep that what we've actually done is we've reshaped Christianity to fit the story of me as opposed to letting the story of Christ and kingdom re-narrate the story of me. And I say that as sort of an ugly testimony. I guess this is a giant support group all of a sudden, isn't it? But I do think life is different. I do think life is different. I do think life can be different when my first orientation is not to John, but to the God who knows and loves John. But in order to get from here to there, I got to do some things. Included in that, I need to pray better. We're Wesleyans. There are some words that are really important to us. John Wesley, what I mean when I say we're Wesleyans, this guy named John Wesley lived a long time ago, had some incredible things to say about faith, and we like what he said and agree with it. And one of the things he liked to talk about quite a bit was heart holiness or heart perfection or this huge million-dollar word, sanctification. And I have tried different ways. I've even used images like Batman and the Joker to talk to you about sanctification. I'm going to do that this week at Mid-America. They will love it. (laughs) But what about this today? Sanctification is the process whereby God builds in me the capacity to love God more than I love myself. Sanctification is the means whereby, finally, I can find some relief from my addiction to me. I saw some pretty interesting images yesterday. Go ahead and advance that for me, one slide, Shane. Well, that's too many slides to It'll come back. Yesterday, let's go ahead and cycle all the way through to the very end. Yesterday, a lot of us volunteered at the Red Man Triathlon. I cannot fathom making the decision to participate in a triathlon. I just, I get tired uh, just thinking about driving that distance. But they bike a hundred and some odd miles. How many miles do they bike? 112? And then they run 26-ish miles? And then they swim how many miles? How much? 1.2 miles. Madness, all of it. All of it's madness. It's incredible to me. It's incredible to me that people make the decision to do this. But, but watch this. I think in the decision to do this, there is an amazing amount of self-denial that has to happen. Hear this. 
<laughs> These folks don't stop when it hurts. At some point, they have to overcome their preoccupation with their own sense of comfort to run the race. I'm going to say that again because I think it should have hit harder than that. Ready? At some point, triathletes have to subordinate their own sense of self to a larger purpose in order to participate, much less finish this race. Yep, it's like that. Your preoccupation with yourself keeps you from running the race. My preoccupation with myself that at times is so deep I'm not even aware of it, but even when I'm not aware of it, my preoccupation with myself can keep me from running the race, at least running that race well. And knowing humans... Jesus, as a human, said, here's one of the ways we will start to work through this deep addiction. We'll start it like this. Our Father in heaven, hallow your own name. Your kingdom come here. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Last question before we pray. If the prayer ended there, would it be a satisfactory prayer for you? What if the prayer ended right there? And it doesn't. But what if it did? Lord's Prayer divides pretty evenly into two sections. One that has to do with God doing something for God's self. And then the other section we'll get to next week is prayers that God would do something for us, not me, but us. But what if the prayer stopped with God do something for yourself? Hallow your name. Bring your kingdom here. May your will be done here. To the extent that you find that to be a disappointing prayer, that may be an indication of the problem. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, teach us to pray. God, show us the effects of an addiction to self. God, make us aware of an addiction to self that we may not currently be aware of because, as we've said, it just feels so normal.
God. Help us to see how we have opted out of the race of faith and the race of Christianity, sometimes consciously, but sometimes subconsciously, because we've not yet subordinated our own wants and needs and desires to yours. Lord, teach us to pray and beyond that, move us to pray. Move us to pray more and more for your own glory, for your name's sake, for this kingdom to come, for your will to be done. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. And I wanna invite you to pray. And you have some options here. These side altars. These side altars are reserved. These padded altars are reserved for people who are in need of prayers for healing. And I promise you somebody will meet you at those places to pray that prayer for healing. And it's healing of all kinds. It's physical. It's mental and emotional. It's relational. You're welcome to come and pray that prayer. And you'll find that someone will come and pray with you. These altars across the front are open for all kinds of prayers. (laughs) All kinds of different prayers. All kinds of different people. The thing is, when you come down to one of these altars to pray, you will find that someone at some point will touch you on the back of your head, your neck, your shoulders. But that is done so that you would know, beyond any shadow of doubt, that you are not alone. Now today, it's a very interesting altar call, right? Because some of us now feel like that we are immediately identifying ourselves as selfish if we come to the altar. Let me take the pressure off. We're all selfish. do want you to find some time and we want to make some time now for us to pray that prayer that God would somehow by God's grace start to relieve us of this addiction to self and open us to the power and the possibility of life oriented toward God and you're welcome to pray that prayer here but you're welcome to pray that prayer there Brandon's going to sing and during this time I want to invite you to come and find or take a posture Find a place to pray or take a posture of prayer. But we are going to pray, and then we'll end with the Lord's Prayer. So, Brandon, sing for us. And church, find some time and some way and some place to pray. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart. my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my life, Lord. Here's my life,
are strong, you are sure, you are light, you endure, you are good, always true, you are light, breaking push now, I would say that I am, I am impressed with the willingness to be vulnerable. I wish more men were. I think that's where we're at. It's no more important for men than it is for women. None at all. And men don't play a more important role than do women. ask us, all of us, and as a man, I want to ask the men if there's a chance this hits too close to home. <laughs> if there's too much at risk, I can sure feel that. But you're safe to pray this prayer. safe to pray this prayer. And no, you do not have to pray it here. It's just that we'll pray with you here. And so Brandon, just the first couple of stanzas of that verse, and then I'll pray and that's it. But I want to invite you at this point to take a posture of prayer that's most comfortable for you, but make sure it's a posture that allows you to self-reflect. Brandon, sing it for us one more time. Here's my heart. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my life. And here's my life, Lord. Here's my my life. 
invite you to take a posture that's most comfortable for you. If you would like to sit, you are certainly welcome to. If you'd like to remain standing, stand the entire time. And if at any point you change your mind and you want to come forward and find a place to pray, you are most welcome. It is at this point that I want to encourage you, if you see someone up here that you can pray with, if you see someone for whom you can be that touch of reassurance that God is here, I want you to come and find those people now and gather around him, gather around her, and I'll even wait a couple seconds while we gather around the people who have already gathered here. So if you see someone you can support in prayer, please come and do that now. kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In our church as it is in heaven. In our country, state, in our city, in our homes. Your kingdom come, your will be done there. we begin by confessing we confess to you God that we are chronically normal <laughs> hopelessly human except that we know that you know us and that we are made in your image and so there is hope confess our self-orientation to you. We confess our selfishness to you. And I'm going to get out of the way while you confess your selfishness to God. In your own words. And maybe even in your silence, allow God to point at those areas in which you do in fact have a self-orientation.
As we move into a time of intercessory prayer, we want to turn our hearts and our thoughts to a few folks in our congregation who need specific touches from you. And we've seen Glenn and Betty Fain gather over here and be prayed for by Linda Crow. But congregationally, we want to come alongside the Fain family and pray for a fullness of healing in Glenn's life and health and body. grateful for this family and so grateful for the Glenn and ask God you'd heal his body. There's others, Lord, who we have specific needs for and we think of people who struggle with cancer at this time. Each of us and all of us are affected by that. I was at a funeral on Friday of my good friend's father who passed away from cancer. Ask God to be with Aaron. But each of us have come into here knowing someone who struggles with cancer. And so we want to give space and time for you to pray with someone who needs a specific healing touch. Who need God to come alongside of them if they've lost someone. So let's take these moments and pray. we ask you to be specifically with those this morning who are lonely here among us or around us in our lives we ask God you'd be with the incarcerated the forgotten or we ask you to bless those who, of our members who are homebound Lord we ask you to bless our neighborhood and we ask you God you'd be with our church the CCIO building of the Cole Center. God, we pray for our neighborhood. God, we give ourselves to you and we ask that you would transform us as you transform the world through us as we begin to live and walk into this prayer, the prayer you taught your disciples to pray. And this morning, we'll pray together using debts and debtors. I'll start us, and then I'll go quiet. We can all together hear this prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Like us on Facebook at Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. Or follow us on Twitter at OKC First Church.